Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, barbecuers of all ages, Cowboy Cav here welcoming you to the Man Meat Barbecue Show with your host, Mikey K. Man Meat Barbecue is brought to you by Myron Mix and Smokers. Are you a caterer, a competitor, a barbecue enthusiast? Myron Mixon has the smoker for you. Check out all their styles at MyronMixonSmokers.com. And don't forget to tell them Mikey K sent you. Do you enjoy this podcast, our blogs? Well, join our growing community of friends over on Patreon and help support your favorite barbecue podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube page for lots of videos on different styles of barbecue, different recipes, and the entrepreneurship of barbecue. And now, here's your host, Mikey K. What's up, guys? So we are hanging out with Robert Moss. I hope I didn't butcher the, the last name. I'm sorry. Did I butcher it? Did I kill it? Yeah, you're one of the rare people who gets that one right. So good. Did job. I really? Okay, I never yeah. get anything right in my life. That's fucking fantastic. Um, so I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If you don't know who he is, go check him out. It's Robert Moss, all one word, on Instagram. Uh, you can go check out his website, which is robertmoss.com. Um, he, he's a contributing barbecue, the barbecue editor for Southern Living. He does some other stuff. He's written some books. Um, he's all around just a pretty cool barbecue guy. So we are chatting with him. So, man, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with us. If you can do us a little bit of a favor, kind of tell people a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, gosh, it's I sort of describe myself as a food writer and culinary historian. So I sort of got into this whole thing. Uh, writing about food history, and that's actually how I got into barbecue. Was was writing about the history of barbecue, and then from there, just you know, took off and and, and doing started doing a lot of other things. So as you said, I'm contributed bar- barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine, and then I write for a number of other uh, uh, food publications like Serious Eats, the the local palate. Uh, I've done work for Garden and Gun and a bunch of other magazines in the past. Don't and you then have to nowadays. Nowadays, What's that? nowadays, you kind of have to. Yeah, you do. I mean, there are still staff writer positions, but there aren't nearly as many as there used to be. And then, you know, it's it, you have to sort of, you know, bounce around and you know get articles where you can. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally, totally feel you. It's it's one of those it's one of those dying. Um, Almost like dying positions. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, this the the internet has totally turned the whole uh, writing industry upside down. You know, obviously newspapers are are really hurting. The magazines, which were riding high in the '80s and '90s, and had like these lavish budgets. Now they're you know they've all cut staffs and cut cut budgets and everything else. And books are holding up okay, but still, there's just there's just not a lot of money flowing that that way. So oh, absolutely. you got to sort of, you know, hustle if you want to, uh, you know, make a go out of it. So what made, what kind of made you fall in love with barbecue? You said you started writing about it, but like, do you, do you remember there, was there an instant where you were like, Oh my God, you know what? I really do love this stuff. Well, it, I actually sort of fell in love with barbecue itself before, long before I started writing about it. It's probably in college, I would guess. And uh, I grew up in South Carolina, up in Greenville, South Carolina, in the, in the western part of the state. And, um, you know, grew up as a teenager just eating cheeseburgers and, you know, fast food and all, and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere along the line, started discovering a few of these old school barbecue restaurants that are around Greenville. And then just sort of, you know, started driving around the uh, 
the Piedmont, North Carolina, and, 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 you know, sampling some of the old barbecue places and, and sort of fell in love with it, you know, that way, just, just as a food and started, you know, just sort of made a hobby to eat it, you know, make a point to stop along the way off the beaten path. Um, and then after doing that for years and years, I, uh, was looking for a project, thought I'd go to the library and maybe check out a book on the history of barbecue and see what would be written about it. And it turned out no one had actually written a book on the history of barbecue. In fact, there wasn't much written about the history at all, particularly before the, the 20th century. And so I started researching it. And next thing you know, I had a book and it, it took off from there. So what are some things that you found out while researching it that you didn't know before or that you could, that you thought was like some super duper cool? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different things. Um, one of the things I found was uh, how huge barbecue was in the 19th century. Um, I sort of assumed that, you know, it's, I didn't really know where it came from and sort of assumed that it sort of took off in the 20th century with, with all the restaurants coming around. But barbecues were gigantic in the 19th century. Literally, there's these gatherings with thousands upon thousands of people. Some of the largest ones had between 15 and 100,000 people in attendance and just these massive, massive events. And it was just a huge part of the social life in the, in the 19th century, which is something I read about a ton in the book. So that was one thing I, I didn't realize is just how big it was. The other thing I didn't know getting into it, you know, grew up in the South, I sort—I thought I was going to call the book Barbecue, the History of a Southern Institution, because I thought it was going to be about the South and about how barbecue came from the, you know, you know, came about to be a Southern thing. But the more I researched it, the more I realized it's actually an American institution. It's really a national institution way back in the 19th century. Um, barbecue basically wound up in California on the West Coast along with the gold rush, you know, so back in the 1840s and throughout the, the 19th and tw- early 20th century, there was barbecue all over the place in the Midwest and then, the, you know, all the way out to, to Oregon and, and Washington. So it's really truly, except for a few pockets of New England, it was truly a nationwide thing up until... It's okay, nobody least, likes those uh, pockets. Late 20th century. What's that? I said, that's okay, nobody likes those pockets. I know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but they've discovered... Actually, New England, was, barbecue was big in New England in the 18th century. There are all these references to barbecue in Massachusetts and place like places like that, these little scattered references around like 1750, 1760. But by 1800, it died out altogether, and it really wasn't until about 20 years ago that anybody uh, started opening barbecue restaurants up there. And New Englanders <laughs> discovered barbecue again. You know, you know, I always say it. I say that barbecue is the American cuisine. You know what I mean? It really yep. is. It it's it's it brings people together. It does exactly what every other like cuisine is meant to do. And it, it, it's the American cuisine. I think that's what we should be known for. I mean, when you think American food, I think barbecue. I really do. Yeah. And so many things in, you know, so many American foods are really, you know, from somewhere else, like hamburgers and and, and frankfurters or hot dogs, even the name, you know, or or German cities. But barbecue is something that really is, was distinctively American, was sort of recognizes that from very early on. And, you know, and that's if you go American style barbecue yeah. and then when you, when you start branching out that word and start start kind of making it more of an umbrella term, I think barbecue really does. I mean, it, it, it's it's so primal because it's just cooking over fire in, in a sense. And a lot of countries have been smoking meat for hundreds of hundreds of years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing new about you know roasting meat over a flame. That that goes way yeah. way back, and it's certainly you know roasting meats on spits and things like that is is universal. It's just something more distinctive about the way um, barbecue began to be cooked in 
uh, in the American colonies, particularly that open pit style barbecue where you're cooking it over coals, you know, over yep. these uh, sort of, you know, grate of sticks on a pit dug in the ground. That that was a distinctively American way of, of, of roasting or smoking meat that you really didn't find many, many other places. In many other places, yeah. yeah. South America for sure and Central America, but they all came out of the same Native American lineage. So they're, they're all sort of connected. Yeah. I think I think it's but I do think it's very very crazy that it, like it's like American style barbecue is taking off in different countries now too. Yeah, I mean absolutely. It's it's um all over Europe. There's now like England has barbecue competitions and there's um I, I did work in London 20 some years ago and I think there was one barbecue American style barbecue restaurant in the whole city and now they're all over the place so and same thing in France and uh you know in Italy there there are people who are cooking American style barbecue all over Europe and Japan you know uh all, all sorts of places and it's really is driven by that you know the sort of the uh the Texas central Texas style and, and the vogue that it's gone through in, in the last 10 years and it's just it's captured a, an audience all, all over the globe it's given it a true romance I think it's yeah really, I think absolutely that's really what it's done it's it's really it's romanticized barbecue which is which is fantastic and I I think that barbecue gets a bad name in a sense of people think it's cheap food but it's like man dude barbecue should be fucking more expensive than anything else. <laughs> Well, certainly, if you if you factor in the time it takes, you know, there's there's nobody such does that. overhead. Please. Yeah, <laughs> nobody does that. I, no, <laughs> I had a lady the other day asking. She's like, "You guys are out of brisket," and I go, "We are." And she goes, "So, like, can you go back and get another one?" <laughs> I could, but and you I'm don't like, like it very much. <laughs> I'm like, "But what do you mean?" And she's like, "Well, how long does it take to cook a brisket? 35, 45 minutes?" <laughs> Uh, no more like 12 hours i think so yeah i was like uh i can have one for you tomorrow and she literally had like it did not click (laughs) it did not it was not like what do you mean you like you're gonna cook it till tomorrow yeah why (laughs) like (laughs) because you don't want it to taste like shoe leather yeah because there's this thing that happens when you cook at 250 degrees or lower that's different. Exactly. Yes, I think the, you know, that's the one thing, though, is people have definitely become much more – obviously not everyone, but, but a lot of people become much more educated about what goes into the process and, and you know, how long it takes and, and all that. So I think definitely – I think you're speaking you know, about a lot of people that don't live right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's no. a little different down in, in the south. I don't know. It'll, it may it might be. No, I, I think you. Are, I think you are right. People are starting to educate themselves, and I think it's because they're you know the, the barbecue, the shows, the the magazines, and all that yeah. kind of stuff that it's it's starting to romanticize barbecue like any other cuisine has ever been romanticized. Italian food's been that way. French food's been that way. Um, and I, I, I think it's right now we're on that barbecue. We're on that barbecue trend trend, and it's people are learning what's going into their food. Like I, uh, you know, I, I say it all the time. Barbecue should be, you know, one of, should be up there with French cuisine because you show just as much passion, just as much love into putting into what you're doing as friend, you know, as a French chef would. Now the difference is we're a little dirtier and I don't mean dirty as not sanitary, but it's not going to be as pretty on that plate. A pulled pork sandwich will never look, you know, beautifully plated like, like you know, a French dish could. Yeah. But yeah, 
But you do have, like like in France and Italy, we do have all these great regional variations as you go from one place to the next to the yep. next. You know, just a couple of hours, and the, and the barbecue style is different, which I think is you know very much a, akin to uh, some of the European dining traditions, even if it's not the the high end fancy plating that you might might see in a you know white tablecloth restaurant. Yeah, but I mean, you know, but I think that's who knows if we'll ever see a, a white tablecloth. Uh... Barbecue restaurant. Well, you're starting to see uh, uh, sort of some of them. I mean, you're you're getting some of these fusion places that are are doing, uh, you know, you know, mixing up, you know, taking the smoker and using that flavor, and and, and then starting to mix them up on the uh, on the plate. Um, uh, thinking, uh, what's Tim Byers' restaurants down in in Dallas? Oh, um, my brain's not going to function that well. <laughs> Late. I've been eating barbecue all day, so I'm I'm definitely uh. Is it, I want to say is it just called smoke? It might be. Uh, it might, might just be, be called smoke. You you might be right. It might just be called smoke. Which would be too simple. That's why I can't think of it. it it's when it's simple, dude. Man, it's the worst. Yeah. You're always like, oh god. So, uh, guys, to roll this full circle, um, me and Robert actually met at uh, Certified Angus Beef Culinary Center. We we got to do the barbecue. I guess not boot camp as barbecue uh, gathering. Yeah, right? I was calling it meat camp or beef camp, but I think they called it the barbecue uh, uh, collaboration or something like that. But they, yeah. they had a nice fancy fancier term for it than, they, than I use. But it was it was it was meat camp basically. Basically for three days. Basically, and, and you, how how were you after the, those three days? Were you ready not to eat meat for a second? No, how's that okay? Because um, with, with my. Uh, my line of work that sort of comes with the territory eating uh spurts of meat now i did take a couple of days off because i try to you know have to you know go in between <laughs> you know binges if you will with a, a little more clean eating but no nah, it wasn't too bad in, in the grand scheme of things um but i think for a lot of people they, they came back thinking i want to you know eat salad for a couple of days because yeah, no, we had beef for breakfast lunch and dinner i know it was fantastic that's why i love hanging out with that crew <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I love all those, all those guys over there, chef, Tony Biggs. Uh, they're, they're just, they're amazing humans. They really are. Uh, Michael's an amazing human. All, everyone that's there just, they really, um, they're always there. They'll listen to you. They'll talk to you. They'll give you their advice. They're great people. And they're always there to help. They always want to help, which is fantastic. And then they feed. Yep. They will always feed you. Always. And and they're also this group. I've never seen a, a crowd of people who are just like so passionate about beef in general. I mean, you can just tell that they love yeah. every part of the cow, and then and they're also passionate about you know the, the certified Angus beef has you know its brand and all its standards and everything else. And it, the subject came up of some competing uh, Angus brands, and boy, they uh, I never I, I saw some uh, tempers flare <laughs> among the crowd there because they are definitely committed to committed to beef. Yes, it, it very, very much so, and they, and I think they're very committed in into um, educating people. Yeah, for so sure. So they know what they're buying and why they're buying it, and I think that's a hard, that's one of the hardest jobs ever. Yeah, definitely so. And I think, well, I'd like best. I mean, we did this thing. Gosh, I guess it was the first full morning where we went into the meat lab. As they literally call it, the meat lab, which is in. in we had like, was it six four quarters of steers? And yeah, we all, it was awesome. 
butchered them and car- butchered them and carved them up into all the pieces and parts. And I just love that, particularly because, um, you know, we all know about ribeyes and, and New York strips and, and those kind of cuts. But this is really getting into all the, the weird cuts and all the things that you can do with all these odd pieces and just sort of seeing where they all come from. Yeah, that's pretty. That was pretty cool. And already, you know, now I'm on the lookout for all these these things at the butcher shop that I, that wasn't really, you know, on my radar screen before. And yeah, that 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 definitely kind of gives you the oh, well, what else can I cook? What yep. else can I do with it? Now, what kind of striked your passion for cooking? Um, just well, just food and cooking in general. Um, I really got into. <laughs> I think leads back to college, I guess. Um. Boy, I had some really terrible dining hall experiences in college, and decided I was going to cook for myself. <laughs> you figured out cooking. you figured out that you had to eat. Yeah, well, unlike no, some of the kids these days. Well, so many of the yeah, you know, I think a lot of college kids experience this. Certainly, I did. Like the first semester of college is great. You have this dining hall with all you can eat, unlimited buffet food, and then like. Six weeks in your life, it's the same food every week, over and over again. And so I, I was ready for some variety. So I started cooking myself then, uh, and then just over time, it just became something that I enjoy doing. And you know, some people find it stressful and or, or chored or cook dinner for the family, or whatever. I, I find it to be therapeutic. You know, if I have a long, busy day, that's something like better than getting in the kitchen and dirtying every pot and pan in the kitchen and making some big elaborate meal for them. For me, that that's, that's fun. So I, I just really got into that very early on in my, in my college days and in my, my early twenties and just, you know, have always, always cooked and haven't, have never looked back. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people haven't gotten into that lately. I feel like the younger generation is like so weird about wanting to cook. Like I'll tell them, I'm like, Hey, just start cooking. And they're like, but what if I mess it up? Yeah. Well, I think there's this weird. Uh, how do you think I learned? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're going to mess it up. That's the point. <laughs> I think there's this real split where um, certainly I, I was not that aware of fine dining at all, much less you know any kind of real you know foodie type things when I was in my my twenties. I was just trying to you know cook comfort food and stuff like that. But I think these days there's such an awareness through restaurants and, and through so, so it's just much more eating out. It's much more bigger part of the culture. So you have this sort of disparity of, I want to go eat really good, high quality things, but yet I don't really want to cook at home. So if I'm at home, it's just going to be convenience food. And then there's this gulf between that and what I go go order when we, when we go out to eat. And I think that's the, I, I, that's the shameful thing. Or the, the sad thing is that I think it's too many people are missing out the, on just some of the, the simple joys of just cooking at home and making delicious food that, that doesn't come straight out of a box necessarily, um, or isn't a meal kit where everything's you know, you know cooked by numbers and, and laid out for you. Where you don't get just everything pre-portioned and you're like, yeah. okay, A goes into B, B yeah. goes into. And you know, it's actually it, it takes a while, but it's worth learning how to actually use a knife and. You know, cut vegetables and and do all that kind of stuff. It's a great skill that comes in handy down the road. But if everything comes pre-portioned and pre-packaged and ready to go, that's something you'll never you're never going to learn. And and the, but that and that's the scary thing is, man, you're not learning any of this stuff. And then you can't like to me like I can't wait to pass that down to my kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like being able to pass that down and and I and I think that's how family traditions start and how, how like there's all these beautiful recipes and shit. And it's like it's scary of how many of those recipes, you know, from families that are gonna go to the wayside because someone didn't learn them. Yeah, that that is is, is definitely true. I, I you know, it seems like 
you know, with my generation, and I'm, I'm in my forties, so it seems like there there are a lot of those. You know, as my like, you know, my grandparents' generation is passing away or has, has, has already passed away. A lot of those recipes are, are gone, and, and even people who learned them, they don't cook them anymore. Like like the that generation did. So certainly, a lot of the old family recipes, I think, are. Uh, are at risk at least, and hopefully, hopefully people will dig them back out and re- revive them. But uh, it doesn't look good right now. Yeah, but it, I mean that. I just think it's really it's scary because it's like you're gonna lose so many good foods. Yeah, and you're not gonna necessarily lose them because they'll, they'll still be there. But the family passion and the family tradition of why those foods are so amazing to your family, I think, means a lot. Yeah, and just simple things too. I mean, things like dinner rolls or or cornbread or you know something basic like that that you would just cook. You know, it, it wouldn't be thought of as special, you know, thirty, forty years ago. It was just something you made to go alongside of it. But it was that kind of thing that was always served with the meal. So it, it becomes associated with your family and all that. And that that's a really we'd be ashamed to lose those those types of recipes. Yeah, as opposed to just you know somebody's super fancy uh, dinner party dish. Uh, you can you can find those kind of things in cookbooks, but the good old sort of family traditions handed down from one generation to the next those those aren't the kind of things that are so easy to recover. Exactly. That that's the big thing. You know what I mean? Like my my wife um, my wife has her great great grandma that does that does these amazing roles. You know what I mean? They're fucking fantastic, and. Um, She's been learning for the last couple of years how to make them. And yeah, there, it, we have a similar one, a recipe that we call Mimi Rolls because that's what my grandmother was called. And it's, it's one thing to have the recipe, but it's really the technique of how you sort of roll them and fold them and, and get just the right texture to them. And then that's something that you, you don't get from a piece of paper. Someone really has to show you that. And you've got to just make them a bunch until you get the hang of it. Exactly. And the, I mean, the, the, the thing is, like, we were. We were talking about them, you know, and she makes them every time we go down there. She makes them with her to kind of to kind of learn and, and, and learn that uh, almost like muscle memory that she already mm-hmm. has because she it's so funny. She's like, what temp should the water be? And she's like, I don't know. Stick your finger underneath it. It should be this temperature. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how she goes off of. And, and she doesn't use a, a measuring cup. She uses a coffee mug that she's like, this is the right amount of water. She's like, I don't, I don't, I don't use a measuring cup. This is, this is just the amount of water because like, you know, she, she's an older lady. She really is. She, I, I think she's in her eighties or nineties. She's, she's up there. And it, it's one of those things that that's how they did it back then. That's how yep. she learned, you know? And I think even if you learned using measurements at some point, you, if you do it for a while, you don't bother because you just sort of know this is how much you use. Like I, I make, I have a pimento cheese recipe that I make for, I wouldn't even call it a recipe. I have a pimento cheese formula I use for, you know, any kind of parties and gatherings and things, but I don't measure anything. I just sort of grate the cheese and glop in the mayonnaise and the pimentos and just, you just sort of know how much it's supposed to be and what, the, and you mix it till the texture looks right, you know? And so that, that, yeah, that's kind of how I make my mac and cheese recipe. I'm like, yeah, that looks right. Yeah, <laughs> and if you know, maybe needs a little more moisture, you pour a little milk in or whatever, and and then it's right, and off you go. Yeah, and it, well, the hard thing is, um, I've been teaching classes for a while, but now I'm, I'm I'm doing more and more of my own recipes in classes, and and I have to write them out and kind of tell them tell mm-hmm. tell people exactly how I do them, and it, it it's almost like 
it's more difficult for me to tell you how like to write that down. Like for me to write out a recipe card, it's so much more difficult for me to do that than it is for me to teach that damn class and just show you how to do it. <laughs> like yeah. it's so hard. It's, I've had that same experience trying to do recipes for books, which is I'll have things like, you know, the, the Pimento cheese recipes example that, you know, I'm basically reverse engineering it. So I make it and then I sort of do the, figure out that looks about the right amount and then I measure it and then have to make it again and again. It's sort of definitely a pain in the ass compared to just uh, grabbing the bowl and starting to mix it up. I think it's just because we're so used to just going. Yeah. And cooking and it. And it's the same thing with um, – I've had friends that have asked me to teach them how to barbecue. And, you know, they'll be like, uh, how do I know it's done? I'm like, you'll feel it. And they're like, that's not a measurement. <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah. ribs should feel this way. <laughs> yeah, definitely ribs are that kind of thing. You, you can't even – you can't use a, th- a thermometer on ribs. You just got to pick them up with the tongs and flop them and they'll – when they bend just right, you know they're, they're ready. I, I, I don't even use the tongs. I use my hands. And I have to pick them up and like – feel the tightness between it like it's so, like i have to feel it in my fingertips um needless to say i don't have much feeling left in my fingertips guys um it's funny like we i've had pork shoulders that are steaming hot that i've just grabbed not i i had gloves on don't i didn't do it like without gloves but you know i've pulled them and people are like why don't you use uh you know the claws or something because it looks like it's pretty steamy and i'm like no it's good they're like, put your hands. I'm like, yeah, there's not much. There's not much yeah, left. Yeah, I definitely, you know, if you're pulling pork, yeah, I like getting the rubber gloves on, but that's about it. And then just getting in there and going. Yeah, but it's no, like, yeah, I, there's, I don't not, have, there's not much it, left. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and it's really, I've done a couple classes, or I've done, no, I've done more than a couple classes. I've done, I've done a couple classes on pork shoulder, just pork shoulder. <laughs> and I've, I've had the, Students come up and, you know, I'm like, this is what you want to feel, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, that's really hot. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, I forgot that your tolerance is different than mine. It's because you have no nerve endings left in your fingers. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm sorry that you're tall. I'm, I'm like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I go, I didn't feel that. <laughs> or we were doing we were doing something and I was cooking at a friend's house. And um, I was like, these. I, was, I think we were making meatballs and we were smoking meatballs. And I'm like, these need to come off the cooker now. And he's like, okay, cool. I don't know if I have any tongs. And I was like, don't worry, just give me a pan. (laughs) I'm just picking them up by hand. (laughs) And everyone's like, dude, those are hot. I'm like, yeah, probably. (laughs) And I I mean, like, I wasn't holding them for long. I was moving them as fast as I possibly could. So I was trying not to burn myself. It was like, you know, yeah, they're probably hot. (laughs) Probably hotter than you should touch. But I mean that's part of the game, right? That's part of barbecue. It's part of part of being part of cooking. And I, I don't call my chef myself a chef really by any means. But I mean, people eat my food and they love it and they pay me for it. So I guess that's kind of it. But I I I, I feel like I'm more of a pit master and, and maybe a cook. Um, but I think I think what you're doing, you're doing this whole opposite end of it. You're 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 showing people's people's skill. Not only do you cook because you love it too. But you're you're getting to show off people's skills. So, how do you when you're looking at a barbecue restaurant and you're like, listen, I want to show this person's skill off. What what are the things that you're looking for mostly? Mm. It's it sort of depends upon what I'm what I'm doing, right? Um, if if because I, I do a couple different things, I, you know, right now for Southern Living, um, and I'm up in Memphis, Tennessee uh, today. 
traveling around eating eating barbecue because I'm sort of revisiting all these places for the uh, the our annual top 50 list. So I have to revisit and, and visit some new candidates and all that. And so if I'm doing in that kind of mode, I'm more trying to get a feel for the restaurant and what, um, you know, and, and I'm usually going to try to order whatever their specialty is, you know, try to sort of get a feel for really, you know, this restaurant's special because of, of this thing. So I went to the barbecue shop today, barbecue shop today, for instance, and you can't go to the barbecue shop and not get the uh, the barbecue spaghetti, which is this sort of unique Memphis thing that they originated. So definitely I'm you know, trying to get into that. Um, it depends, you know, I, if I'm doing a little more longer and in-depth thing, I try to get more of a sense of the, or I always try to get a sense of the history of the place. You know, how did this restaurant come to be as opposed to just, you know, you just walk in and order some food and eat. I'm always trying to understand, you know, when was it built? Uh, you know, how long has it been in the family? How, you know, how did it get here? Has it changed hands over, over time, et cetera? I understand. So I think the family stories are always really interesting, particularly any restaurant that's a, a multi-generational restaurant where it's been handed down from one one generation of the family to the next and you know there's always good stories there and, and always and good, the good drama yeah absolutely i mean you can see and there's usually there's there's always interesting because usually there's somebody usually the founder the patriarch of the family usually who is sort of the, the driving force and it's always curious what happens when that person either gets too old or passes away and and then the next generation takes over. And uh, so that's always a, a curious thing also I'm just more i'm very interested in the pits that I always look for that even before I go into a restaurant. I mean, I'm always looking, poking around or looking around the back and seeing, is there a you know, brick chimney? Can I see any kind of wood pile or do I see more of the, the signs of like just, you know, the, the uh, gas assist cookers and all that, that kind of stuff. I'm just really trying to understand the technique and, you know, where, where's this, where's this barbecue coming from that's going to land on the plate? Yeah. Gas assist. <laughs> Chandler, if you're listening, um, gas assist <laughs> i'm just gonna laugh at it um he's still giving me shit about it i don't use a gas assist i use a tr- I, I use a stick burner uh well i use a water cooker i use a myron mix and h2o as my main rig and um he gives me shit because you know you got to throw sticks into it about every 45 minutes and, and uh he's like man he's like wait till you uh wait till you're two years in into the K two or three years in, and you're gonna want some sleep. I'm like, still don't want sleep. Still enjoying it. Still throwing sticks, brother. I'll, yeah. I'll get a text as soon as this comes out. I'm getting yelled at for that. <laughs> but I give him shit all the time. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll take pictures of my fire and I'll, I'll I'll send it to him, and I'll be like, Hey, do you remember what this looks like? <laughs> and I understand that there are certain places that he can't do it. Like he, they have they have a um, a restaurant in the mall. Yeah. I'm guessing they're not going to let you roll a giant stick burner in there. Yeah, it's it's going to be, be tough. <laughs> it's going to be tough. I mean, you can do this, like the Orler pits, which are you know going to be all all wood. You can do those in sort of your urban setting. Yeah. But if you're trying to do burn barrel type barbecue, that's going to be really tough to pull off. You know, on a city block or in a in a strip mall, particularly this day and age, unless you you know you sort of <laughs> eased into it over over a couple of decades. Um, yeah, I can, I can certainly see that. And, and definitely there's been this divide there. There was a time in the seventies when all the old barbecue joints are switching over from, you know, their traditional wood pits to gas fired pits. And a lot of times what they were literally doing was just taking, you know, 
uh, natural gas propane yeah. burners and putting them where the, <laughs> the they used to shovel coals, and that was about it. So suddenly you turned a, like a cinder block pit into a, a basically a gas powered oven. Um, but you know it's a lot different now with the the more high tech equipment. So it's sort of a nice middle ground, I think, where you, you're actually there's real wood in there that's burning and putting Sometimes. smoke in there. Sometimes it doesn't have to be. So you can you can make good flavorful barbecue with it. But you know I'm a I'm a traditionalist and it, you can never quite get the same flavors you get when you're cooking I on a, you a real reason. wood fire. <laughs> I knew I liked you for some reason. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you, man. If it's not, um, I just. The, Yes, you can crank out good barbecue over pellets. Yes, you can crank out good barbecue over these things, but you will never get the true flavor that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's just I, you're just not going to. It's, it, you can't. The combustion's not there. And the, the other thing I think that, that, that miss with some of these is if you're putting a whole uh, log into one of these uh, gas assist things where it's blowing the the flamethrower across the log, um, and it's even even the offset smokers in in texas when you're you know you're, you're cooking with the wood pit on the side it's just a different flavor than when you're burning the wood down outside the pit and shoveling it uh in into the pit because oh, in that case the, you're, ne- you're never really having burning wood with all that sort of fresh smoke it's all you know it's burned down the coals at that point and it's just so it's very subtle and then the meat drips in the coals and all this kind of stuff i just think it ha- leads to a a, a a definitely noticeable different flavor than you get on, you know, on the sort of the wood assist or wood assist or wood flavored, I want to call it, yeah. uh, cookers. Now, do you have a favorite style of barbecue? Well, I used to. I think everybody's favorite style is what you, you grew up with. And I, you know, grew up, I grew up in the western part of South Carolina. But at the time, Greenville, South Carolina, the barbecue joints that were there were mostly the Piedmont, North Carolina style. And I drove around a lot in that part of North Carolina. So I sort of fell in love first with that. You know the chopped pork shoulders with a little tomato sauce or t- t- little tomato laced vinegar sauce and that kind of thing. But over time, the more I eat, the uh, the more I, I've become to appreciate all the different styles. Um, so it's hard for me to say anymore that I have a favorite um, necessarily. I am I'm partial to whole hog barbecue, particularly the PD style. Uh, or or Eastern North Carolina style like uh, Rodney Scott or Sam Jones makes and that that is there's just something beautiful about that but there is something uh, very beautiful about yeah, that absolutely and just the whole the whole process and it's just if you cook it right you just can never quite get a flavor like that from any other any other type of, of pork um but at the same time i very much appreciate midland's side kind of mustard sauce and then having now been to texas a bunch really you know the the, the holy trinity out there don't let daniel vaughn from uh, texas monthly here but i actually do sort of like the i <laughs> really do like the brisket that you get at the best places out in texas so it's sort of like saying do you have a favorite type you know favorite style of, uh, of beer or, or, or wine or something you're like well maybe you know, like all i can i can appreciate the different types and oh yes like, of course and that, but that, I, admit, I, I do i do have a particular fondness for whole hog barbecue something about it yeah you know, i did i both the way it tastes, the flavor, but also just the, the the art of it, and just the whole process of doing it, and it's such a laborious, uh, time intensive or you know labor intensive process. So it's it's hard not to respect somebody who's putting that kind of work into into and the barbecue. As we said, it should be the most expensive damn cuisine yeah, in it the should world. Be. Absolutely. And and it's not. Mm. I, you know, it's like man, people complain. It's like. How much is that pulled pork sandwich? Ten dollars. 
Are you kidding me? That's ten dollars. Yeah. Shoulder took twelve hours to cook. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I think there's just a there's still a, there's there's that golf still or a bit of a, there's a huge it, it, I think that it's widening in the barbecue world because for so long barbecue um, particularly in the south you know barbecue restaurants these are just sort of everyday places you went you get a you know inexpensive meal and they're competing with the fast food burger chains you know that's yeah. sort of, you know so it, and it, there's still a lot of places like that particularly in small towns and in the rural South where their competition is not the barbecue guy in the next town over their competition is the, you know, Hardee's or the <laughs> church's fried chicken or anywhere else where you can go get a meal for six, seven bucks. Hey, don't and hate they, on churches. <laughs> yeah, they, nothing against it, but just saying that's, that's the competition, right? It, it, but then you've got the sort of newer places with, with the prime brisket and people will pay 20 bucks a pound for barbecue and, and, and all that. And, and so I think you still, you have that sort of tension of, Barbecue as the bucket list thing where I'm going to wait in line for four hours at Franklin Barbecue and you know, I don't care what it costs versus I just want to go grab a pork sandwich here. And so I, somewhere in the middle there is the the everyday barbecue and I think that's what you're seeing. You know, $10 for a pulled pork sandwich. Yeah, well, yeah, but I didn't just, you know, pull it off out of a, you know, pre-cooked and, and chop it up and put it on a bun. It, it was a lot of effort that went into it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I smoked this. I, t- I took – I took some time. You know, yeah, and just uh, the cost of wood alone. If you're if you're cooking on wood, you know that, that's not an insignificant part of the you're, cost. You're preaching <laughs> the choir, buddy. You're preaching the <laughs> choir. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not just like you know, turn on an electric stove. And yeah, get, get the electric bill into the end of the month. It's, it's no, I got pretty, a wood bill. Expensive. And it, up here, it's it's even it's even worse, man. Getting a getting a good wood supplier and uh, making sure that the wood is you know really really good and it's a constant flow of it. That's the hard part. That's one of the one of the parts that I struggled with when we when we started our our barbecue company is making sure that we had a good wood supplier. Yeah, you know it's I mean? tough. It's it's tough, and it's tough all over. I mean, the barbecue restaurateurs I talk to, you know, they'll tell you they're they're spending tens of thousands of dollars a year on 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 their wood bill. Yeah. And and a lot of them have had to sort of, you know, get crafty. And they, they don't care if you know their sauce recipe, but they're not going to tell you where they get their wood. Because, you know, a lot of them are getting them, like, scraps from furniture companies, like hickory scraps and things like that. And, you know, just being able to – or, you know, having somebody's want to cut down trees and bring them to you, that's that's not an easy thing to find if you're a restaurateur. And then you got to age the tree. Yeah, you yeah. You can't just – you, know, you got to let it sit for six months. And, yeah, you know what I mean? Shit. And then it's like, wait, how much do I need? Okay, that's like that. Those are some of the hard parts. Um, we now use a kiln dryer. Our, mm-hmm. our guy kiln dries just because, I mean, we can't find anyone that's just you know normal aging. Yeah, well, unless you're you know unless you have some place where you can let <laughs> cords after cord of wood sit <laughs> stacked up for for that long. Yeah, that again that makes it hard in the city, right? There's space is a premium. It's exactly, space is, and you're if you can do that, man, you're paying for it. Yeah, and that's you the thing. Are if you, paying for it. Yeah, if you if you see the wood burners and you know, the Southern Barbecue restaurants, like if you go to Skylight Inn, uh, in in Aid, North Carolina, or Heights Barbecue in West Columbia, or or you know any place that is cooking all wood, you'll see a massive lot full of of, of logs out yep. behind. It's not like one night nice neatly stacked stacked wood pile. If you go to Bridges Bar Red, uh, Bridges Barbecue Lodge in Shelby, North Carolina. 
it's actually one of the few places I've seen that's stacked neatly, but it's like row after row after row of of uh, hardwood logs stacked up, and you realize they these guys are going through a literally a ton of wood. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, you know, on on their pits. It's it's not just throwing a couple sticks in there every day. No, no. You, uh, I had a friend. Um, he wanted to come by the kitchen and see 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 what we're doing and where we're doing all this stuff. And and I go, yeah, absolutely, come come by. And um, we were running low that day on our wood. Not running low as in like we were going to run out, but um, our wood delivery was you know in a, a couple days, so we were the stack was pretty low. And he's like, man, he goes, so how long will this last? Jim, like three days. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, "No, I'm like my my wood delivery is in about three days, so this will be almost gone by by the end of the day, by the by the time I get my delivery." And he's like, "Are you are you are you serious?" I'm like, "Yes, yes." Why? <laughs> he's like, "How much do you go through?" I'm like, "Face cords." <laughs> like, we go through cords of wood. Yeah, <laughs> it's Stamey's Barbecue in Greensboro. I know Chip Stamey up there. They actually, he actually was one of the guys that got uh, who gets his from a a, a uh, anonymous, well not named, uh, hick, uh, furniture uh, factory. But they literally bring in these gigantic dump trucks. I mean, it's dump trucks full of wood that they're bringing, not some pickup truck or something like that. You know? Yeah, that it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Massive. Wood suppliers are golden for yeah, us, for sure. And the weird thing is, like, when I talk to them, it's like, hey, you know, I'm a barbecue guy. Like, up north, they don't get it. They're like, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I will be one of your biggest accounts. <laughs> do, you have, do you have trouble getting a specific kind of wood? Do, do the guys like, well, it's all wood is wood? Uh, uh, some, some some guys will say that, yeah, uh, I'm I'm a pure oak human. Um, I like using I like using white, white or red oak. Um. And I use, you know, I use the oak that we source in northern Illinois just because it's it, it's it's more local. It's easier to source. It is a little bit cheaper. Um, I know, you know, we can get some cherry wood, but it's it's hard and it, it gets more much more expensive when you start getting into those those fruit woods and or or like um, mesquite isn't the easiest mm-hmm. to source hickory. Sometimes you can get some. But there's a lot of oak trees up here. Yeah, so, but and that's that's the way you should do it though, because that's where some of the great regional style, you know, flavors come from. Is people in South Carolina weren't ordering mesquite from Texas. You know, they they used what not only what they had, but what they had in large quantities on hand, yeah. which is you know why it varies so much. You'll you'll see hickory up in the the Piedmont, North Carolina, because there's a lot of hickory trees up in that area. But when you get to, you know, down to the eastern North Carolina, PD, South Carolina, it's mostly oak because there's not a whole lot of hickory trees, and so that's that's what they use. And that, you know, obviously gives the the you know the, the smoke is so important to barbecue. So that gives you that, that sort of local flavor that you can't get if you're, you know, trying to imitate what somebody does a thousand yeah. miles away. I mean, I I talked to Kent Black about this, and he said, you know, he one of his biggest things was. Use locally sourced wood. He's like, don't rack yourself trying to find fucking wood from other places. Just use locally sourced wood. Like that's that's barbecue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I understand. Like yeah, if you want to be one of those, if you're doing cooking for your family in the backyard and you're like, hey, I want to cook over all cherry wood. Awesome. If that's the flavor you like, or I want to cook over all pecan. Great. If that's the flavor you like, please by all means do that. I'm not telling you not to. But when you start getting into 
mass quantity catering, um, you know, commercial commercial style cooking. Um, use locally sourced wood. Why why stress another region? Yeah, absolutely. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and in, in same thing, you know, with which is how the, the meats and, you know, all the things that we think of as the great regional styles really have developed in the early 20th century as um, restaurateurs were scaling up, right? They're, they're having to build these operations where they're working every day. And so you wouldn't just, you know, barbecue whatever animal you happen to have on hand on the farm anymore. You're ordering from a packing house, and so you start getting what's what's nearby for the local packing house, what's cheap. And that's how we ended up with the, the meats that we've ended up as being sort of the regional specialties uh, yeah. in each part of the country. Yeah, and that, and that, that you know, be, I always say be true to who you are. Um, the cool thing about being in Chicago – where there's not necessarily a, a strong, strong barbecue background anymore, per se. Um, it's it's awesome to be able to kind of play around with different, you know, different regions and and, and take different things from different regions. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the been the mode of the you know the last ten or ten or twenty years, and and I think that's absolutely fine, you know. Um, you know, to to be inspired and take inspiration from where you get it because certainly barbecue's never been a stable thing over time. It's it's grown and evolved. Um, but I do like the idea of of while you look around for inspiration, also look to your own backyard and see what's see what's available there because that can help. Yeah. You know, give your own local spin on it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, I I a hundred percent agree with you on that. You know, give you know look look at what people are doing around you. What flavors are 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 big around you? And I think that – I mean that's how barbecue really started because like you said, you know, Carolina, it's a little bit different barbecue. Texas, different barbecue. Kansas City, yeah. different barbecue. Why? Because all those people have or enjoy those kind of flavors. So it wasn't like – it didn't happen on accident. No, it definitely did not. It definitely evolved over over time and it evolved over um, – well, I think it's really interesting when you look at the sort of history of barbecue, particularly the restaurants, how many we might call barbecue mentors there were where you know one or two founding sort of pioneers or restaurant pioneers in a city sort of get established and then the people who work for them sort of learn that technique and then they go open their own restaurants and then you know that and that's sort of how like an individual region and city styles um, developed. Like you really traced so much of Kansas City's barbecue back to Henry Perry. Back into the early 20th century, you can trace a lot of Piedmont, North Carolina, back to a guy named Warner Stamey who bounced all over the, the Stamey behind Stamey's in Greensboro. But he bounced all over the Piedmont region of North Carolina, opening restaurants and teaching people. And you can really literally trace dozens of barbecue restaurants in, the, in, in that part of North Carolina all the way back to Stamey's and then the people who Stamey worked, worked for, uh, just twice good uh, – uh, you know, back in, in Lexington. So I, I think that's that's great, you know, is, is having that, you know, it's not just what's local, but it's also that mentorship and, and you know, learning from the, the generation before you sort of loops back to our, our cooking discussion earlier. I I mean, I, I think you're definitely, you're, you're hitting it up 110% on nail on the head. <laughs> you know, it, it, it there's just so much that goes into barbecue. So much so in in the heritage and in the the history, it's just amazing. Yep. And you are a wealth of knowledge, my friend. 
I guess that's what hap- that's what that's what's hap- uh, that's what happens when you write a book, right? Yeah, I write a book and then you know just follow that up by. Yeah, actually, I wrote the book. It's been interesting. I wrote it. Um, yeah, I'd eaten a fair amount of barbecue around the the country at the time I wrote it, which was 2010. But that was before I got the Southern Living gig, and then since then, I'm you know I'm traveling all over the South for them, and so I've seen more and more and more of it, and it it amazes me how there's still I'm still discovering new things, and still you know finding all these regional differences and and variations I never never knew before. So I still haven't tapped out the uh, <laughs> the material yet, even after you know working on it for almost 20 years now. Now let me ask you this question: Where do you see barbecue going next? That's a that's not an easy question to answer. Um, when I when I wrote the the book and when it came out in 2010, uh, I sort of ended it on a um, sort of I tried to put a positive spin on it because barbecue had just about disappeared in the 70s and 80s. You know, all the old restaurants were closing. The families didn't want to continue in the business. You know, it was fading out, being replaced. You know, no one was eating barbecue. But then it started just roaring back, and really, it, by the time I was writing that book in the you know 2007, 2008, um, people were open, starting to open barbecue restaurants again. People weren't necessarily from a barbecue family. It was it was hot. It was like you know the barbecue competition circuit was was it was huge. You know, Food Network was everywhere. But it was this sort of weird blend. Uh, what a uh, barbecue writer named John Shelton Reed, who wrote the big, big book of North Carolina barbecue and other, a bunch of other stuff, a uh, great barbecue commentator. He calls it the International House of Barbecue, which is literally that restaurant where you've got, you know, you got Texas brisket, you got Carolina pulled pork, you got St. Louis ribs, you know, and all the, you know, six different sauces on the table. And that's really sort of what all the new restaurants were. And they all had sort of this. You know the look of the restaurant, that sort of galvanized yep. tin side, you know, with, you know, uh, very, very much, usually you're playing Texas, either very Texas or very playing blues music, you know, trying to do some kind of Memphis thing, no matter where they were. You could be in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, it was all becoming this very homogenized, you know, thing. Well, do you think it was, do you think it was because they were trying to make everybody happy? I think part of it was because they were trying to make everybody happy. I think part of it was both with a lot of people entering the restaurant business, but also our other customers. It used to be that people just sort of grew up with whatever barbecue they knew. So if you grew up in the Midlands of South Carolina, you thought barbecue was pork with mustard sauce and hash and rice on the side. Um, but then you, you know, people moving around, you had a lot of customers coming back to barbecue who didn't really necessarily grow up eating it. And so I think the, the styles were inspired less by what people sort of the, the restaurateurs and the customers knew growing up is what they knew from television and, you know, knew from, you know, this is, you know, the internet was starting to, to, to come along, but it's really before social media had hit. And so I think that had a lot to do with it. So people didn't have this long running tradition of I always go to this barbecue place and that's what real barbecue is. Um, and, you know, brisket in Texas, it sort of was, was getting big. And so everybody wanted to eat brisket and everybody wanted to eat ribs. Um, but then something strange happened after about two, you know, in the last 10 years, really, which is barbecue that people started as they got more and more interested in barbecue. Then they started getting more and more interested in the regional styles. Whole hog cooking was going, was, was disappearing. You could count in, you know, maybe two hands, the number of whole hog joints that were left in the, in the Carolinas. But then all these guys started opening uh, whole hog uh, restaurants like, um, 
you know, Brian Furman of Bees Crack and Barbecue, which was Savannah, now now Atlanta, Elliot Moss at uh, Buxton Hall up in up in Asheville. So new guys coming into the scene and, and looking back to these these old ways, and people like Rodney Scott and Sam Jones sort of branching out from their family restaurants and opening their own. And now Rodney Scott just opened a, a new place down in in, in uh, Birmingham. So he's <laughs> that's going. So it's you know all these styles are really starting to to take off and, and explode. So I don't really know, this is all a long way of saying, I don't know where it's going. I, I'm, my crystal ball isn't so clear because at the same time that you have that happening, you know, all these folks, it, it, it takes a lot more money these days. It takes a lot of capital to open a restaurant and, and to make it in the restaurant industry. We were talking a little earlier about this, where that disparity between the $7 barbecue check and the $25 one, yep. um, you, you're sort of getting this split where the ones, the, the the families who are more in the small towns, those, those places are, are still fading out and are, are disappearing. And I think you'll see, we've already seen some, um, some of the classic places start to close their doors. Jackie Heights in Leesville uh, closed up recently. Allen and Sons uh, just outside Chapel Hill, uh, which is one of my, Allen and Son, which was one of my fa- absolute favorites. Uh, Keith Allen has just recently closed that up. <laughs> so um, one by one, it seems like we're losing a lot of those uh, the older traditional style places, what we're getting are the newer style places, which they're really serious about their barbecue. And they have wood-fired pits, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're really intense about it. But they also have full menus. They have full bars with craft cocktail lists and, you know, like, say, $25, $30 average, average check. Uh, so it's, a, it's just a different world. So I'll be curious to see where, where it is 10 years from now. Um, I, I was worried 10 years ago that barbecue may have, you know, run its course and its its popularity would fade, but it didn't. So I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I just think it's going to look very different 10 or 15 years from now than, than it does right now. I, th- I think it definitely will. I think it's going to evolve. I think we're going to move into other things. I think it's going to be really, really cool. I really, really, I really think that's where we're going to go with barbecue. Yeah, we had this really interesting thing that happened both with social media uh, and then the food trucks, you know, you suddenly got like this whole new crowd of people who are um, interested in, in cooking barbecue and not just, you know, buying a, you know, a, a smoker and installing a restaurant, but they're, you know, they're, they're really into it. And I just think of like Valentina uh, Tex-Mex down in Austin, which is, you know, they sort of took traditional Texas barbecue. They're blending it with a lot of the Mexican flavors and, you know, making just really interesting food. And so I think you'll see a lot more of that um, where the, the pit becomes this tool in the, in the repertoire, but the, the, the barbecue is very, uh, you know, becomes very diverse and, and, and unique and individualized. I, I can definitely see that happening. Definitely, definitely see that happening. People... I think it's just guys with cookers pushing them to their limits. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? It's, we want to push our cooker as hard as we possibly can. Yeah. And you don't, and you see, you don't see a whole lot of guys these days just do two things or three things. Like I do pork, pulled pork and ribs. Um, and that's it. You know, they're always doing something new and different. We're going to do pastrami. We're going to put duck legs on our duck wings on the smoker. You know, we're going to try different things. So I think you're, you're seeing a, a lot of that. You're seeing a lot of places where you go in and there's, um, three or four specials on the board that you you know 
you've probably never had before <laughs> because it's somebody really, you know, stretching their, their stretching their talent or, or, or you know, trying out their chops and seeing what they can do with, with unusual flavors. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, man. I want to say thank you so much for coming on our podcast, hanging out with oh, us. Oh, yeah, chat, sure thing. Chatting barbecue. Uh, <laughs> so the way I like to kind of end this up is with a very simple question. If you could go back in your barbecue career, knowing what you know now, and give yourself three tips to shorten your barbecue learning curve, what would those three tips be? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, I know I say it's a simple question, and then I give it to you. <laughs> and then everyone's like, what What do you mean? That's not a simple question. Well, that doesn't need to, you know, if you give me an hour in advance, I could have thought through it a little bit. Um, I'd probably talk to more people. Okay. Um, than than I did, uh, and part of this is because coming out of a historical research background, I tend to go to, uh, you know, I tend to go to the archives, to the newspaper, you know, old newspapers and things like that. But I've learned so much in the last, you know, five or six years just by traveling around and and, and talking to people and, and and listening to their their experiences and their stories. And one of the great things about Southern Living is I've I've done a lot of interviews. Um, with, with restaurateurs and pitmasters, which is something I, I didn't really do back when I was doing more historical work. And so I think that's probably something I would have done more of out of the gate is do more interviews and, and talk to more people. Um, I certainly would have learned things a lot faster than, than I did. Um, let's see. I think I would probably... Trying to decide, I think I would probably uh, also try to eat at more uh, more places, take more chances, than, rather than trying to um, just sort of put together the list of oh, here are the twenty great you know barbecue restaurants in the South, and, and try to hit each of those. Because what's been great in, in, over over time is the sort of the serendipitous discoveries of when you just sort of stumble into this barbecue restaurant that either you've never heard of or it's really way off the the, the, the radar screen and you find it absolutely absolutely delightful. Um, and so I think you know you also stumble across a lot of forgettable, imminently forgettable places. But uh, yeah, I think it's worth worth risking. Uh, a bad meal in order to get that unexpected good meal because you'll remember that that unexpected good meal a lot more than than the bad one. Oh, absolutely i totally agree with you that's totally worth it yeah yeah it sucks when you get the bad one but you know yeah but you know you also may well i eat a lot of bad barbecues no there's absolutely the easiest thing to do ask for a to-go box put it in the to-go box and take off. They won't, no one will be offended. They'll think you're taking it home and you can dump it in the nearest trash can and then go save that belly space for the next place down the road. Cause that's, that's certainly something I pull a pull a lot. Uh, cause don't, don't feel obligated to, to eat the whole plate if it's no good. Oh, uh, so that, so if you ever come to my place, I'll know, I, I know your tricks now. No. And actually though, to, to, to those people who see me, eat, I usually, I'm doing these tours. I'll do six to eight barbecue restaurants in a day. So I'm, I'm taking takeout with most of them. I mean, because you can't eat that much, just and eat that much, and actually not hate yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> just or be able to move at the end of the day. You know, you take a couple, you know, one or two bites of the side dishes, and that's actually really sucks. If you like, you hit like a really good place on your second or third visit, you will want to just like you know wolf down whatever that big old thing of beans or, or mac and cheese is. It's so good, but you know you're going to hurt. So what I ended up doing is I take take it out. But you'll see whatever ends up at the hotel room that night. 
that didn't end up in the garbage can, that's the winner. Cause then you can you go know, finish up the night with a little and, and great barbecue, you know, it's always best fresh off the pit, but really great barbecue is just as good when it's been sitting in the fridge and then the next day. In fact, I have this thing I've called the, the refrigerator test. And it's like, if you take leftover barbecue, put in the fridge and like you go eat a little bit of the next day, if you know, you eat and you're like, that's great. And then you, you, you forget about it. It's not great barbecue, but if you keep going back to the fridge, you get a little pinch, a little pinch of that, uh, eating a little bit of it. And next thing you know, it, you know, a couple hours is gone. Then, then that, that's truly great barbecue. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you. But if it's good enough, if it's good at cold, yeah. man, it's good barbecue. Good, good barbecue holds up very, very well. Yes, it does. <laughs> Regardless of what you do to it. I mean, it it does. It's it's funny. Like there's there's times where I like I'll have my barbecue in the refrigerator for like two or three days, and then I go pull it out and I, I eat it, and I'm like, this is still good shit. Like, and like friends will do the same thing. They're like, man, they're like, no, your barbecue's good for four days. Oh yeah, yeah, like it's great. Good. And I'm like, well, what happens on the fourth day? They're like, eh, it starts to get a little dry. And I'm like, yeah, but it's four days in. <laughs> I don't know. If it, I don't know why they still have it around after four days, but that's that's but just you know, me. You know what I'm saying? Like it, they're like the fourth day, it'll start to get a little dry. Yeah, a little bit. And I'm like, yeah. Then add a little sauce. And they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that, that's all we got. So, man, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hanging yeah, out with sure us. Thing. Can you tell everyone where they can follow your barbecue journey on the internet? Okay, yeah. Well, best place is um, probably Instagram, which is actually Robert F Moss. Uh, is my my handle there? Uh, it, did I mess that up? I yeah, did. I think you said Robert Moss at the beginning. I, I thought it was all just one word. Was I wrong? It, it's all one word, but it's Robert F Moss with my my middle initial. There's uh, a couple other Robert Mosses floating around out there, so you'll be following some weird uh, Australian dream soothsayer guy if you if you get it the wrong way. But if you get Robert F Moss, you'll see it's basically all barbecue pictures in the feed, and that's that post you know wherever I'm I'm visiting. That's a great way to do it. And then there's also robertfmoss.com, which is my website. Um, and your links there. And, but if you type in Robert Moss, you will, you do come up. Yeah. If you just type in Robert Moss barbecue and Google, lots of stuff will come up. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you are one of the first ones that comes up on Instagram yeah. too. Oh, okay. So, well, it so hits me. So that, that's perfect too. Yep. Um, I did not realize that it's Robert F. Moss until now, yep. until you said something. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm so sorry about that. Once again, it's Robert F. Moss, all one word, guys. Follow yep. him on Instagram. He has some beautiful barbecue photographs. He's, yep. he's an amazing barbecue writer, and he's a great guy. So thank you so much for coming on our show, and uh, we will chat soon. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it, Mike. Have a good night. Man, dude, that was great. That was all fantastic. Right. Cool.